Good morning. Aren't you thankful for heat inside a building in this cold weather outside? I know although we lost one hour, but thank the Lord that we're in the house of the Lord today. We're going through a series right now about the farewell discourse of Jesus, and we're in John 14 this morning, and um, I just want to read to you again, we read it already, but as we enter into the Word of God, John 14 from verses 1 to 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your, these beautiful words that you spoke to your troubled disciples to bring comfort in the midst of heartbreak. And as we look into your word today, Lord, I just pray that you would comfort our hearts through your word and that we would know you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, in, in these verses in John chapter 14, we see how Jesus is trying to comfort the hearts of his disciples. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. We, uh, some weeks ago, we saw about how Jesus wanted his disciples to be in an attitude or in a spirit of serving. And last week, we looked a little bit about how this new commandment of love he wanted his disciples to, to, to have. And Jesus is giving these words to his disciples as he's getting ready to leave this world. And we read earlier the context of these verses in chapter 13 when Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. And Peter is asking, well, why can't I come with you? I want to go where you're going. And then Jesus says, no, no, you can't go with me now. And, and Peter, I'm just going to let you know, you're going to deny me as well. And this would have been very troubling if you heard those words from Jesus that you're going to deny the Lord, it would have been something that would be very troubling. But for all the disciples, they, they didn't want to see Jesus, Jesus uh, leave. If you put yourself today in the shoes of these 12 disciples that Jesus is talking to, you've given up everything for the last three and a half years. You've left your job, you've left your livelihood to follow this teacher, to follow this miracle worker. He's promised a kingdom that he's preached about, you're waiting for that to be established, right? For the Roman rule to be overturned, right? To be given uh, positions within this government that Jesus is going to be establishing. You're expecting to be rewarded for your diligence, your faithfulness, right? Over these past three and a half years. Everything is now coming to a climax where everything is, is coming to fruition Jesus has been teaching all of these things. And then at this point in time, Jesus says, hold on, I'm just taking off. You've been waiting, you've dedicated yourself for three and a half years. And you are following Jesus and you are seeing everything he's doing. And you're just waiting for that kingdom to come. And you're thinking, look, it's a good thing I got in early. Because, you know, I'm right there. Right with Jesus. And when this kingdom is coming, I'm going to be right there. And now Jesus is saying... He's leaving. What an extreme disappointment. An extreme disappointment. 
But here we see in John chapter 14, Jesus, he turns around the perspective. He changes the focus from the way probably that the disciples were looking at in a temporal way. We want the kingdom of God to come. We want to overthrow these Romans. We want the kingdom of Israel to be established. We want Jesus to be seated on that throne of David. Let's go back to the glory days of King David. Where Israel is the greatest nation in the world. But here Jesus, he turns around the focus and takes it away from something that's temporal to something that is eternal. And I wonder how many of us in our lives today, we are focusing on what is temporal and denying or making it very light what is actually eternal. In Colossians chapter 3 from verses 1 to 4 it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and you are, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Here Jesus is, he's, here Paul is actually, he's changing the focus. He's saying, set your mind, set your heart on things that are above. You know, this passage that we're looking at, you know, the disciples are troubled. And so many times we ourselves get troubled. Why? Because our focus is on things of this earth. And we've lost perspective, we've lost vision of the eternal things. We all go through times of grief, pain, problems, hardships, failure, betrayal, hurt, sickness, death. All of these things, you know, we go through these things. But what is our comfort during those times? Here Jesus tells the disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Right? Don't let your heart be troubled. We worry about so many situations, but hear the advice of Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled. And right after that, what does he say? I just want to look at five things from this passage in John chapter 14. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. And then he goes on to talk about a few other things that help us have comfort in God. Number one, he says, believe in God. Number two, he says, believe also in me or believe in Jesus. Number three, he is preparing a place for us. Number four, he is returning for us. And number five, we will be in his presence forever. He tells the disciples, these disciples, they're troubled. They've gone three and a half years. They're following Jesus. They're doing everything Jesus says. You know, they've, you know, they're probably getting, you know, A's. Well, maybe some people got some B's or C's. You know, Peter probably got an F every now and then too. Right? But they're following Jesus all the way. And he, then he says, I'm taking off. I'm leaving. And they're troubled. He says, don't be troubled. Why? Believe in God. Believe in me. I'm preparing. A, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And don't worry. I'm coming back. And the best part, the icing on the cake, is that you will be with me forever. So let's look at these things. Number one, believe in God. The disciples, believe, the disciples already believed in God. This was just an affirmation. Jesus told the disciples, you believe in God, believe also in me. 
And so they were already believing in God. But now I just want to look at it through the lens of Jesus. Just put ourselves maybe in the shoes of Jesus for a moment. He's encouraging and he's affirming the belief of the disciples to believe in God. But what is Jesus' situation? He's getting ready to face death on the cross. He realizes that for a moment the Father is going to turn his face away when the sin of the whole world comes upon him. And he realizes that the Father has sent him into the world into a difficult, lonely, painful, hard situation. In Isaiah chapter 53, this chapter is is a prophecy about Jesus and dying. And it says here, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Jesus is telling the disciples, look at the path that I'm on, that I came down to earth here, and God is asking me to fulfill his will. He knew that the disciples would forsake him. He knew that his father would turn his face away. He knew it would be a difficult, lonely path, as prophesied here, that he would be crushed, that he would go through pain and difficulty, And that same person that's allowing him to go through all that, the same person that sent him to go through all of that, what is Jesus saying? Believe in him. I'm going through such a difficult pathway, but that does not mean you should forsake God. I'm going through a lonely pathway, but that doesn't mean forsake God. No, all the more, believe in God. And I don't know what situation you've come today. Maybe your heart is troubled. You're going through a sickness. You're going through a a difficult pathway in your life. Maybe some rejection, a problem in the family, whatever it might be. And you're thinking, God, why am I going through this? And you're thinking, why am I walking through this pathway? Jesus went through a difficult pathway. But in that time when he told the disciples, don't be troubled, believe in God. Yeah, he's allowing me to go through this, but it is his will for my life. You know, when you see parents that lose a child, but praise the sovereign Lord who is still on the throne. When you see a family go through a sickness, but thank God in the midst of pain. When you see someone like Job in the Bible lose all of his possessions, but still can bless the name of the Lord. If you see somebody like Jesus hanging on the throne, hanging on the cross, sorry, dying there. His father allowed him to go through that. And then he looks up into heaven and he still says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is a God I want to believe in. That is a God I want to trust. It doesn't matter what trouble I'm going to face, but he is there. In John chapter 12, in verse 20, uh, 27, it says, Now my soul, Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. He says, now, my soul is, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. You know, God will allow us to go through various trials and difficulties. It's not always going to be an easy path. But this was the father, this was, this was the person that Jesus was saying, believe in him. Jesus encourages his disciples, believe in the father. To believe in the father is to believe like Jesus believed all the way until death. All the way until death. 
Maybe you're going through a hard time today and you're questioning God and you're asking God, Lord, where are you? Why have you allowed this in my life? Why this suffering? Why this trial? Comfort comes from trusting in an all-wise, all-knowing God who holds us in his hands. You know, if anyone had the right to question God, I think it was probably Jesus at that time. Why are you allowing me to go through such a thing? But what does he say in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Then a few verses down. Here now he gives us perspective. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, the physical provisions. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But here now he puts things into perspective. He says, but seek first what? the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let's get our priorities straight. We're going to put God first in our life. You know, there is a man, his name is George Mueller and he was a, a man that started orphanages in the, in the 1800s in England and he lived by faith and he trusted in God and he trusted God to provide all of his needs. And there was a day, this is just one story out of a multitude of stories if you ever get a chance to read his biography. But there was a day when he had to give food for 300 of the children to eat, and he didn't have any food in this, in, in this orphanage. But he told all the children to go and sit down at the table and to thank God for the food. And he went there, and, and the kids went there, and they, they thanked God for the food. And within a few minutes, there was a knock on the door, and the baker was there. And he brought all this bread, and he said, The Lord told me to come and bring you this bread in the morning. And then shortly after that, there was a knock on the door, and it was the milkman. Back in those days, they had milkmen. It was the milkman that said, my cart broke down right in front of your orphanage, of all things. This milk is going to go spoiled. Do you think you can use any? And it was just enough for, those th- for that 300 children. And in so many different ways, God honored the faith of George Mueller and supplied for him. For 60 years, he fed, the, he fed so many thousands of orphans day after day. And his fatherly care and testimony caused many of them to commit their, life, commit their lives to Christ. And he said, he said, in the greatest difficulties, in the heaviest trials, in the deepest poverty and necessities, he has never failed me. Christ has never failed me. But because I was enabled by his grace to trust him, he has always appeared for my help. He's a very present help in time of need. Isaiah 12 and verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Belief in God. Trust in God. It brings comfort to our lives. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse uh, 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God the Father, he comforts us in all of our afflictions. God speaks to us through others as well. As we receive comfort, we can comfort others in the same affliction that they're going through. 
You know, Paul, he went through trials and he went through difficulties. And he said here in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, it says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Maybe you're here today in the house of God and you're thinking, I have the sentence of death upon me. Just things are not working out. It's just one problem after another problem. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see any solution to my problem. But what does Paul say here? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When Jesus told his disciples, believe in God, how could he say that with such confidence? Because he knew that his heavenly father was a God that raises the dead. He was relying not on himself, but on his father. How about us today? Are we relying on our heavenly father? That brings such comfort. Do you think a little, do you think a little child is thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to pay that electricity bill next month. Oh boy, the rent is coming up. I don't know. I got to do groceries today after church. You think your, your, your little child, your baby's thinking about that? No. They rely. On their, heaven, on their father, on their parents. Rely on God. Trust in God. Believe in God. This, uh, uh, this beautiful hymn, Day by Day. One verse in that hymn, it says, Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in God. Number two, we have to believe in Jesus. Believe also in Jesus. This belief in Jesus is just a, a re-emphasis on believing in God. Because in, this, in the same chapter, in John chapter 14, in verse, in verse 10 and 11, it says, do, not, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. It is a revelation of the Father in the Son, Jesus, to understand the beauty of this unity in the Trinity and to also comprehend and understand the divinity of Jesus. He was going to the cross to die for the sins of mankind, and it was essential for his disciples and for all of us to understand that this was the creator dying for the creation. This was the Son of God dying for mankind. And this belief in Jesus brings us to three things very quickly. Number one, it brings us to belief in the Word of God. In John 1 verse 1, we, uh, it's a familiar verse that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a belief in the Word of God. Believing in Jesus is trusting His Word, His promises, His, uh, His truth that's written in the Bible that He's given clearly unto us. Number two, it's doing the will of God. And fulfilling the works of God. Again in John chapter 14, just a few verses down, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, right, believe in Jesus, what will happen? 
will also do the works that I do. Will fulfill the will of God. If we believe in Jesus, we will do the will of God. And number three, it it speaks about believing in his promise that Jesus said he will send another comforter. He'll send another comforter to us. In the following verses, from verses 15 to 18, we're not going to take time to read all the verses. You can read it later on at home if you'd like. But there it speaks, Jesus speaks about sending another comforter. And in chapter 16 as well, in verse 6 and 7, it says, But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He acknowledges. He tells the disciple, look, I I told you I'm leaving, and I realize that sorrow has filled your heart. You're troubled about this, that I'm going. But he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Disciples, listen, I'm going to go away, and that's for your good. Because if I go, what's going to happen? I'm going to send the helper, or another translation says the comforter, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's sending us this comforter. Belief in Jesus is believing his word. Belief in Jesus is understanding that we will do his will. Belief in Jesus is knowing and trusting that he said, I am not going to leave you comfortless, but I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. The same way the disciples were trusting God, Jesus wanted them to trust him. They had seen the miracles. They had seen people rising from the dead. They saw uh, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing. Now he was leaving them and he was asking them to allow their belief in him to overcome their sorrow. In times of greatest sorrow and sadness, comfort comes from Jesus. The great Christian author, C.S. Lewis, you know, he went through so much pain and problem. He lost his mother when at, at an early age. He saw his dad emotionally abandon him. He suffered from uh, different sicknesses as a teenager. He went into World War I and was wounded there. And he wrote this book called The Problem of Pain. And in this book, he writes, he says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. How many know sometimes we have to go through a distressing situation for God just to shake us up, to wake us up? Hello, I'm speaking to you. He shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We go through pain, we go through sorrow, we go through troubles. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 5, just prior to these, verse 5 and verse 3 and 4, we read those verses, how it says, God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. But then in verse 5 it says, for as we share abundantly in Christ, you want to eliminate that first part? I like just the second part, right? So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Let's just take out the first part. What does the first part say? For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. We will go through sufferings. We will go through hardships. You will never know God as your healer if you never went through a sickness. You will never know the God that consoles you if you never went through pain. You will never know a God that binds you up if you never went through heartbreak. 
You will never know a God who is your companion, your friend that sticks closer than a brother if you never went through loneliness. You'll never know the God that can rescue if you never were in a time of trial. And you will never know a God who is a very present help in time of need if you never went through a desperate situation. God is here with us. And he wants to share comfort with us. But the problem is sometimes we view comfort in a different way that God is viewing comfort. Sometimes we're viewing, Lord, I'm in this problem. Get me out right now. I want to get out of this problem right now. Like the disciples. Lord, let your kingdom come right now. I want you to kick out the Romans. I want, you know, I want your kingdom to be established here. I want to sit at your right hand and let's rule and reign. No, but Jesus was looking at a bigger picture. He was looking in the long term. He was, look, he was thinking about the salvation of humanity. He was thinking about fulfilling the will of the Father. He was thinking about redemption for mankind. And similarly in our lives, when we go through sadness, we go through sickness and sorrow and pain, and we just want relief, and God is looking for our long-term good to change our character, to be conformed to his very image. So that we would know Christ as our healer, as our sanctifier, as our helper, as our deliverer. And so we go through these hard times. But he also with that tells us in Matthew 11 verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When things seem uncertain, when the future is unknown, believe in Jesus and trust in him. Jesus was about to secure salvation for all of mankind. And the disciples were thinking, this is a horrific death. Everything is falling apart. What is happening? We follow Jesus for all this time. We saw him do miracles and great things. Now he's dying on the cross. And they're thinking everything is crumbling to pieces. And Jesus and the Father is like, it's just going according to my plan. And many times in our lives... It's like that as well. And so he says in John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me, in Jesus, in Christ, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Believe in Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Number three, He's preparing a place for us, right? Isn't this so beautiful? He's preparing a place for us, right? What if I told you that, you know, after the service today, I'm going to give you a deed to a a million-dollar property. It's all prepared. It's all set for you. You've got to move in. Wouldn't you be happy about that? Jesus is preparing a place for us. He told his disciples, I'm going. I know you're troubled about that, but I'm going for a good reason. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, there was a singer, his name is Keith Green, and he wrote songs and he sang in the, in the 80s. And he wrote a song, one song that he wrote was called, I Can't Wait to Get to Heaven. I don't know how many of us, you know, are in that category. You know, some people, you know, they want to go to heaven, but no one's willing to die to get there, you know. But he wrote this song, I Can't Wait to Get to Heaven. And what he, in, in the lyrics of that song basically says, you know, God created this wonderful earth with so many beautiful things. And it took him six days to do it. But he's up there for 2,000 years working on my home in heaven. So that means living down here is like living in a garbage can. Compared 
to the place that he's preparing for us. I want to read you a poem, but I just want to ask you if you can just close your eyes. And just for a moment, with with, with your eyes closed, just think about this place that God is preparing. This poem is by James Hewitt. And as I read, I just want you to try to picture this. That when we close our eyes here in this earth, we open our eyes in heaven. He writes, What must it be like to step on a shore and find it to be heaven? To take hold of a hand and find it to be God's? To breathe a new air and find it to be celestial? To feel invigorated and find it to be immortality? To rise from the care the loneliness and turmoil of earth into one unbroken calm. To wake up and find it to be glory. Isn't that an amazing thought? When we open our eyes, when we close our eyes in this world, when we open our eyes in heaven, just think about that. He is preparing a place for us. We open our eyes to find it to be glory. It's not just that Jesus is leaving, but he's gone to prepare a place for us. You know, during the times of the Great Depression, the suicide rate actually rose because so many people uh, lost their money in the great stock market crash. And people started to kill, kill themselves because it was like, what's the point of living? My money is gone. In Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. My question today is, where is our heart? Are we caught up with the things of this life and thereby become so troubled? Or do we keep our focus and attention on Christ and his kingdom? Uh, There's an evangelist, his name is Michael Ramsden. He works for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. They go through to different, uh, very famous universities and things, and they're apologists, and they defend the Christian faith. But when Michael Ramsden was doing his doctoral research, he was coming near the end of his doctoral research, and uh, Ravi Zacharias called him and said, I feel the Lord is calling you to, to ministry with me. And he asked him, would you like to join with me? And he was doing his doctoral research in, in finance, and so um, he sought counsel from others, and he was, he was 25 years old, and he had three choices, basically. He said, I can go into banking, I can go into academia, or I can join Ravi Zacharias and be an apologist to defend the Christian faith. So he talked to one person, and, and this person said, you know, we need some Christian bankers. So he decided to go into banking. And he said he went and he took a, took a bath and he ended up crying for three hours until he had no more tears. And he said he felt the Lord tell him, wrong answer, try again. And so he knew what the answer was and so he started to work with Ravi Zacharias and, and to defend the Christian faith, to serve the Lord in that way. About four years later, after he started working with him, um, a company, a group, came to him because they were interested in his doctoral research, which was in finance. 
And they came and they offered him, they came to him and they said, we want you to work for us. We're willing to give you $30,000 a day. Now, what would you do? And so he told his wife, and they decided, let's pray about this. Obviously, right? We've got to pray about something like this. $30,000 a day. And so let's pray. And he said, they, went to, they came together and they prayed for about 20 seconds and they started to laugh. And they realized this was not the will of God. And he rejected that. His wife joked around and said, maybe you can work for like two weeks and pay off the mortgage and then retire after that. But he had his eyes set on what was important. The word of God talks about riches of this world and it brings troubles. It, it brings a sword through our hearts. It, so many other things that can happen. We can't trust in uncertain riches, but we can trust in the living God. And so where is our heart today? God is, God is reserving eternity for us, glory in heaven for us. It is incomparable to what is down here. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Way more than $30,000, that's for sure. Romans 8 verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. He is preparing a place for us. A glorious place for us. A beautiful place for us. Oh, what will it be like when we open our eyes and we see glory? It is so hard for our human mind to comprehend. Number four, very quickly. He's returning for us. That's a beautiful thought. The whole trouble, the whole problem here, the crux of the matter was that Jesus told the disciples, I'm going. So to comfort them, he says, hold on, don't worry, I am also returning. I'm coming back. You know, there's a story of a little boy. Uh, you know, he was afraid of the dark and his mom was tucking him in into bed. And, and, you know, he was scared and he didn't want his mom to leave. And the mom said, don't worry, Jesus is with you. The little boy looked back at his mom and said, yeah, I know that. I want someone with skin on. And so sometimes we're like that. We know God is with us. We know his presence is there. He will never leave us. He won't forsake us. But think about that day that he's returning for us. Don't you get excited about that? That day that Jesus returns, that blessed hope that we all have. He promised to his disciples, I'm going, but I'm also coming back. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 to 18, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of, a, of command, with the voice of an archangel and with, a, and, and with the sound of the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage, or another version says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. I'm telling you this, these words today. Jesus is coming back for us. Be comforted, be encouraged to know that our Savior is returning for us. Hallelujah. 
Our Savior is coming back for us. The last chapter of the book of, uh, of, the book of Revelation, the last chapter in the whole Bible, three times in verse 7, in verse 12, in verse 20, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Like he thought we were going to forget. So he says it three times in the last chapter. I am coming soon. This is our blessed hope. He has not left us alone, but he's returning for us. He comforted his disciples by telling them he's coming back. And number five, we will be with him forever. This is ultimately the comfort that the Lord wants us to have. That no matter what happens in this world, no matter what trials we face, sicknesses we go through, problems we, we endure, no matter what comes across, comes across our pathway, there is one thought that we can have to know and be sure that we will be with him forever. Things may go unanswered here in this earth, but one day we will be reunited with him. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4 it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with me. If you don't get excited about this, I don't know what you're going to get excited about. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that so beautiful? None of these things that we are facing right now, death and sorrow and tears, they will all be wiped away. What a wonderful day that's going to be when we can enjoy his presence forevermore. In John 17, in verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, so that they can see my glory. Friends, people of God, maybe you're going through a troubling experience today. Maybe you've never believed in God. Maybe you've never known that confidence and trust that comes from God. Maybe you've never believed in Jesus. And you've never known that trust, that assurance, that comfort that comes from believing in Jesus. I want to encourage you today. We'll have some people here at the front after the service to pray with you. Maybe you want to take that step, that step of faith to to give your heart, to commit your life to the Lord, to feel the comforting hand of God in the most difficult situations of life. Maybe you've gone through the pain by yourself. Maybe you've gone through the sickness by yourself. Maybe you've gone through the hurt by yourself. But the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, wants to comfort you today. He wants to stretch forth his hand and comfort you as his child. And maybe, maybe you've known the comforting hand of God, but you came this morning to church and and you're just thinking about this problem and that problem, and you're thinking, once the service is over, I have to go and face this situation. I want to tell you that you're not alone because the God of all comfort is here today. The Spirit of the living God is here today. Jesus said, I'm going, and part of me going is because I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And he's here to bring comfort to our lives. I'll just close with this verse in John 14, 
verse 27, the same chapter that we've been looking at, John 14. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. One day we are going to rise with Jesus. And we're going to see that glorious place that he's preparing for us. And we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. No more pain, no more sorrow. But we will enjoy his presence for all eternity. What a blessed hope we have today. God bless you.